I love getting up every day and knowing what I got ahead of me as a builder. I do like being in the field. One of my favorite phases of construction is the foundation. I'm there it, when we excavate day one and set grade on the house, I'm there for every single time. It's one of the more critical pieces of set grade on the home. It's one of the critical pieces of, of the construction. And it is challenging at times. It can be stressful at times, but it's incredibly rewarding. And, and, uh, and at the end of the day, it's, it's about relationships. It's about relationships with our team members that work for us. It's about relationships with our trades and suppliers. It's about relationships with our clients. Welcome to episode 128 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have Dan Duvall with Duvall Builders. And Dan has a great passion for construction. This is someone who really dove into the value of the build show, of Builder 20, how these have impacted his business, and even more so the system side, using co-construct and builder trend and how that makes a big impact on what he does in his process. We spoke about him building his first home at age 24 to where he is now and how the homes are much more complex than they were before, but the ability to do so with a small company, there's just four of them in the company, but systems are absolutely critical. And we discussed how to communicate and set expectations with clients, some of the weaknesses in the sales process, and how he's modified that and corrected that to have better communication, better projects, better clients. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levin, and today we have Dan Duvall with us. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for so having da- me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So Dan's with uh, Duvall Builders and owner of Duvall Builders, and you have an amazing story. And we've been friends for quite some time through social media. And uh, I know the Builder Show was just a couple weeks ago, and we are able to finally connect in person, although we've had many interactions online. That's correct. Absolutely. Met on uh, Instagram. It's been, it's been a good relationship to have, well, although it's a long distance one, huh? <laughs> it's long distance. But I'll say there's a couple guests we've had that have been recommendations of Dan that he's reached out. And so big thanks. And I know you've been a big supporter. And we've, you know, it's interesting. I want to get into your background education and really how you've uh, built a successful company. And I know that social media has been a big player for both of us. But before we go there, uh, mm-hmm. what, what's amazing from your side is, you started young. I mean, you've been in the trades. I believe you built your first home when you're 24. And how is that process now? When you look back to your first house at age 24 to where it is now, you know, how's that process changed? How's the quality changed? The communication, you know, everything that goes with it. Well, I think the first the first thing that comes to mind is I could build homes a lot faster back then. <laughs> you know, today, even with all the technology we have and email and zoom and the speed of now, I somehow I can't get them built as quickly as I could back, <laughs> as I could back then, but that's okay. You know, I, um, well, I'd imagine of, there's a couple things. It's funny you say that because I mean, we're dealing with, you know, COVID related things, inflation, material yeah. supply. I mean, there's a lot of this labor constraint that I know we'll get into, but, but part of that too, is I'd imagine the scale and size and quality of home you're doing now is much different than the first one you did many years ago as well. So the complexity that's, is different. That's absolutely right. And that's, you nailed it. And what the clients are asking for, they're, yeah. they're educated They're I mean, with a couple clicks of a mouse, you can see what Shaquille O'Neal's bathroom looks like, I'm sure. You know? <laughs> and they're, they're very educated and, and they want what they want. That's, it's been, makes it fun for us. You know, I think going back that far, the bigger things that we do that are just huge improvements are, are the building science and how far it's come with construction and how we're air selling our homes and, you know, more efficient, smaller HVAC systems and, everything about that. And it's one of the biggest 
compliments we get from our homes are the, the things that, that our clients can't believe is when they move in, just how low their utility bills are relative to their existing home that, or their home that they may have moved from. So there was a lot of crazy stuff we did back then that uh, I can't believe. I would say one of the crazier things is we used to, uh, it was, there was actually an inspection. It was in the code book and there was an inspection. We would, uh, of course we were, it was a, uh, 716th OSB exterior walls wrapped in Tyvek, standard uh, bat insulation. But we had to cover the interior walls with a plastic vapor barrier. Yeah, like Visqueen. Yes, it's crazy. And, um, you know, that caused a whole other series of issues at times with vapor push and that. And there was an inspection for that. And they realized, hey, this is a bad idea. And don't <laughs> do that anymore, builders. <laughs> so, yeah, we've come a long way. So let me ask you this. I mean, when you get into, and you mentioned the building science, so when you're climbing, I mean, it can be pretty uh, extreme in some ways, right? Especially in the winter. Um, yeah. Are there minimums? I mean, how do you go about setting a standard for your clients? I'm, you know, some of this may come with education, but you know, all of our clients, they may look at Pinterest or Instagram and they want a certain level of finish, but it's hard to comprehend the bones, right? Of the home and the structure. So how do you communicate that and say, hey, these are some minimums we need to have and some things we're doing but there is a cost involved, right? Yeah, so that's a great question. So there, from the from the construction side of the homes that we the just the the efficiency and the structure of the house. Well, let me back up here. So it, it's important to note or we're not a design build firm, but yet we're a little different than many markets in that we get the clients first, meet them once the relationship's built, it's ready to go. We take them to the architect. Where many markets, the architect, the client, the client gets to the architect first and client and architect show up to the builder and many of those things, you know, what the wall assembly is, the type of construction, maybe a lot of the finishes in that are already called out where we, uh, we're, we're just the opposite. So a client comes to us, they typically, they know us by this point, or we show them some homes, show them how we build, what our pricing structure is. And at some point they got to say, Hey, we like you, Dan, we're going to go with you. At that point, there's a pre-construction agreement. We bring in the architect and we walk, work through that process. So at that point, that's where we get to the talk to the architect about what we want for wall assemblies. And we use zip wall system. We have our standards. We use zip wall on the exterior. We use bibs insulation and so forth. We do some spray foam stuff as well. And that's where we get to the point where we start talking to them about our, what would be our quote unquote standards. And, and is that common? I mean, is Zip a, a really common product there in your market? Uh, yeah, I would say it is. It's um, amongst the custom builders. I mean, we've got some in the more the semi-custom and below that. It's more Tyvek and house wrap. But yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty common. It's pretty common. And, and, and so from the, the client side, do you ever find that there's any pushback when... Uh, you know, the, to the best of your ability, especially when they come to you first, Dan, you're going to try to create at least somewhat of a budget, right? Some kind of target and for the house. And you can look at database, you can look at project history, but at some point you have to direct them and say, okay, we're going to have these minimums. And do they ever come back and say, well, Dan, that's interesting. You know, this builder says they can build our house for X dollars a square foot and you're at Y, right? Like what's the difference? I mean, how do you work through that process with the customer? Oof. You know, um, we try to squash that real early <laughs> and, you know, obviously the square footage thing, people say, Hey, what do you charge for square foot? My answer right. is, I don't even know. I don't know. 
I don't know what I paid for my car per pound either. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just not a good measure of, of what I value of my home. Um, it is funny you, you say know, that, I you know, it's, I, I haven't heard the per pound, but sometimes I'll tell clients, you know, they'll say, you know, the square foot price, right? And do you ever think, well, what's the square foot price of your car, right? And you think about it, well, you know, the square foot of, we'll just say any, any brand without calling them out, but like maybe it's American made or foreign, you know, as a sedan, but then you can have a very luxury sedan, right? You know, to, it's the same square footage, but why is the price double or triple? You know, it's the same square footage, but you know, it's really hard to, to explain to the customer the difference there in a the house. It's not like, Hey, I'm hiring Dan Duvall. So he's just, because of his name, he's way more expensive. That's typically not the case, right? You, there's value and there's product you're putting in the home and there's a cost to it. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and, uh, I think it's a lot of just education on the front end about what we do and being very specific. And we have a lot of years of, of past homes that we can show them. Um, and of course it's, I show them the budgets right away on houses, on previous homes. And it's important for them to see like, Hey, you know what? Like when all of our homes use real stone on the outside, mm -hmm. we're kind of in a market where cultured stone is probably is pretty popular and dominated. We like real stone to me. It's, it's a good stone Mason as an artisan. I love that. And we love to incorporate that into our homes. And when I show them the budgets for what a full masonry home looks like rather versus a, uh, culture stone, stone. Yeah. yeah, culture stone, yeah. You know, it is it an upgrade? Absolutely, it's probably four times the cost. Is it hundreds of thousands of dollars? No, but if they see the value, they see the dollar value, they'll buy into it. So I think it's important to show them what stuff costs, and so they can buy into it, see the value. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and and going back to the experience, I know you talked about my my earlier question. How you know how's the process change? Um, I I've had clients and people ask owner builder, right? So, you know, at times, and, and I think I did a video on this on YouTube a long time ago, but uh, you'll have some clients that want to be an owner builder. And you think about this for you and I, I know the first home that I built, right? And having been in the trades and gone to construction management college, I, I look at the home we're building today and it is a major, you know, difference, right? And you think about it of any practice, right? Repetition, you're going to get better. You can understand the process you know, your, your skill set, the, the trade partners you're using. And so it's the same thing where you look at a home that you built, Dan, you may have said it was quicker. Well, it was on a simpler scale. We'll just say more conservative scale, but now you're so much more experienced. So the home you're doing, you know, your eye for quality, your attention to detail, the building science knowledge, you're building a home that's much, you know, tighter. It's more energy efficient and it's, it's a better quality. It's a much better product today because you've been practicing this for quite some time now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, we've come a long way. I, I know that. And, um, you know, I think in terms of back to your question about some of the minimums, I, you know, I don't know that we have any minimums, but I will say a couple things that we do try to incorporate into our homes, which we don't won't deviate from is one of them is all of our cabinetry. We have custom made. And the reason why, you know, my background was finished carpentry. And for years as a finished carpenter, the role was to go in and do all the millwork in the house, staircase, and set cabinets that would be stock. Come, they're delivered in a cardboard box in the garage, and we'd unscrew them, and they'd be fillers and so forth. And and that's the way I built my homes when I started out. And when I 
we built a house and I got all done. Everything looked great. I looked at the cabinet budget. It was like, and this is a number of years ago. It was like $35,000, which was a lot of money for a cabinet budget in the homes I was building back then. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is it for 35,000. And from that day forward, I, um, I made, I reached out to a few cabinet shops and, um, I went to my clients and I said, you know what, we're going to build your cabinetry. And it uh, requires a lot more work on our end from the design standpoint. And uh, because you're building something from scratch, not from, you know, a a stock cabinet. And it has been a game changer for us. And we now have two shops. And while I don't own the millwork or the cabinet shops, uh, we, the one shop were hundred percent of their work and the other one were probably 90% of their work. And, it's a great relationship and we can help. Um, we, we don't dictate their schedules, but let's just say we strongly influence it. We can come in and say, Hey, listen, we're going to pause on this. Rob, we want you to work on these items here. And it's been a great relationship for us and a great, so that would be another, you know, quote unquote standard. So let me ask you this. So, uh, when you're speaking of the cabinet and trim shop, you mentioned that you share the shop or you share the building, but you're not an owner. I mean, so how's that relationship yeah. work between the two? No, I don't, I don't own any of it. It's, it, it's none of it's mine. They could, they're just a, a independent trade partner. partner. They're truly a partner. I mean, it is a, we, it has been a, one of the one shops for 20 years and been with us and the other one for about six. And it is truly a partnership and a friendship and, and, um, they're blessed with great work and we're blessed with, uh, great cabinet sh- cabinet makers and uh, craftsmanship. So do you feel that gives you a leg up? I mean, do you feel that you have uh, a little bit more control just because of relationship as far as production, timing, schedule? Uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it can create an issue because clients find out that what we're capable of and they want us to build everything. We build dining room <laughs> tables, we build their study desks. I mean, they'll, we can overwhelm these guys. So it can, it can get overwhelming, but it's without question, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a game changer and a difference maker. And one of the things that really sets us apart. So how are you managing the schedule? I'd imagine that from your first house, um, your, your building process is much different today than it was to that first home. How has that evolved? So, yeah. So as far as schedule goes, I mean, I have, um, you know, my, probably the best advice I got in terms of project management and schedule came from my dad and he was an engineer and way different thinker than I was. And matter of fact, he didn't want me to be a builder. He was worried it was going to be too difficult for me. And, uh, but he said, you know, there's, there's four key principles to project management, organize, manage, lead, and control. And, you know, the organization, you organize the project on the front end and, um, it's organize, manage, lead, control. And, and, uh, you, you manage the team of people going into it. You lead them in, right? You get the organization together, you lead them in, you bring all your designers in, get everybody in their key spots and get them, get them pointed in the right direction. But where the wheels fall off is the control. And most people fall short there and that's where trouble happens. And it's kind of the old Ronald Reagan trust, but verify, but it's a matter of just stay on top of the details and, and, um, and managing those from day to day. So we, we definitely for, for the last 20 years at least we've used a scheduling software and it just, if nothing else, it helps me get a mental checklist of, of everything of every little task that has to happen throughout the process. Of course, we started out with 
Microsoft project and you know, went to some more builder, builder specific uh, softwares that actually share the schedule with the subs. So That's interesting. So going back to the organize, manage, lead, control, you know, I love those four elements because I haven't heard it put that way, but I mean, it's, it's so key to right being successful, especially as a builder in our field. When, when you think about just the organization, as you mentioned from the very beginning, uh, how involved are you, you know, you refer the designer, you refer the architect to the client, how involved are you in pre-construction and making sure that to the best of your ability, everything's selected, you know, before you start, or do you have a deadline in the schedule or build process when all those selections have to be made? Yeah, that's so for us, when, when the client finally, when we meet with the clients, everything is good. They understand, Hey, we're, we're going to design a home. That's going to cost. We're looking somewhere between this and this. We shine a pre-construction agreement. We take a deposit. We bring in the, the architect that that process could take 10 to say 14 weeks to get the plans complete. We onboard them immediately and start, start working on selections. And especially in today's environment with, you know, it's going to take six months to get windows. It's going to take 10 months to get garage doors. We, so we have had to restructure our selection schedule, which we present to our client, but we onboard them immediately and get them out and make it selections. And, and of course that does a few things. We get to, uh, define budget quicker and verify selections, but also make sure that the, uh, stuff is ordered that we need. It's going to hopefully be here when we need it, but it also builds that relationship with the client, you know, before we even break ground, we're, we're building that relationship early. I, I love that you share that. Not only does it build a relationship, it's interesting because, um, I know a lot of builders as I've networked, and this is a process I think we really struggle with early on was allowing, you know, the excitement to get going. You have a project, you want to get a shovel on the ground and start moving and you don't have all the information, you're like, okay, well, this is a long build. We have time to make our selections. You know, client's not in a hurry and, you know, things change. Okay, that's fine. And you get the process and it just, it, it extends the schedule. And that, that was always a challenge years ago, even before we were up against what we are now as builders, right? But now, as you mentioned, I mean, we have lead times that are asinine. I mean, these are lead times that none of us have ever dealt with. I mean, appliances that go from, you know, four weeks to nine months. I mean, it's like unprecedented. And so I, I've seen now that it, it actually puts a little bit more, the ball in our court, right? A little more leverage to say, okay, Dan, we're happy to work with you, but keep in mind if with inflation and escalation, if we don't make these decisions now, it's going to really limit us, right? To cost control the project. And the schedule is going to be wide open because we have no ability to order early, you know, and there's so much that goes into planning, but even more so now than ever before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so do you ever get pushback? I mean, when you go to a client and say, okay, Dan, I'm giving an example of you as my client, you know, I'm very adamant. We got to, here's our process. We got to get architecture. We have to integrate the designer and landscape architect, and we have to be done by this date. So when permits submittal, we have everything in our hand. And, um, you know, how often do you have to get involved to that level with the client just to set that expectation? You know, we, um, so one thing we did in the last year is we ended up, hiring a staff member that I was look, what I was looking for was a staff member that was a more of an administrative assistant for me to help document the selections, work through it and ended up hiring, um, someone that with an interior design background. And I didn't think I wanted an interior designer because I didn't want to be an interior design firm. We don't want to, we're home builders. So I don't want to be, <laughs> but I realized it's the best thing we ever did. 
right, is have a, an in-house interior designer and uh, bring that. And, and all, my wife works with like, my wife works with me as well, and she does that as well. But she does a lot of things. She doesn't just have one role. She does a, a lot, a lot of things. This particular role, though, is that's their primary focus. So, you know, I, I think uh, I don't know that we get pushback, but I think what we do it gives it's it's a sales tool for us when we show them our process. We show them how complex. I mean, our scope of worksheet is forty-five pages long. Our selection sheet is two pages of of just everything that has to be picked out. But we break it down into manageable chunks, and we work as a team together to get that done. And it just—I think—they realize a couple things. They realize, wow, this is going to be a, a monumental task building this house. A custom home is a monumental task. Number one, and number two, they—they they realize, hey, these people have a process and to manage this for us. So. So how does that work when you say the scope of work doc is forty-five pages? Is this a, a standard template you have, or are you building it specifically for each project? So yes and yes, it starts with a standard template for us. And, um, you know, I, over the years I've, I've hired, uh, building consultants for various things, but I hired uh, early on, I hired a guy, um, and he always preached, build the home on paper three times before you build in the field. And what he was saying is, you know, you, for us, we have the building plans, right? And a lot, there's a lot of detail on those building plans. But anything that is vague or uncertain in the building, not called down the building plans, goes into the scope of work. And our contract states if there's any discrepancy between the plans and the scope of work, the scope of work takes precedence. So it's important for us to define this is what we're building for the client. And it's it's a standard template that uh, we develop for ourselves, just the way we build. And also from that um, template and that scope, the trades scope of work is defined so and and distributed off of that as well so what's some of the benefit you know by creating the scope of work and making sure your trade partners have it as well as your client i mean what's what not only the benefits but where has that protected you right in miscommunication possible litigation you know anything that can go sideways you know throughout the process right right good question yeah so again when you've got a set of plans and oftentimes they they lack it's not that they like information. They just don't have all the information. They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. And we have great architects, but they're imperfect too, right? There's things they miss. It's sure. just the reality. So. Sure. And um, again, it's just all these years of building and thinking through situations. And, you know, they're, they're like electrical, for instance, in our homes. There's a certain way we want our homes wired. And there's a certain can that we specify. We, you know, there's a certain can that we like, there's certain places that we like them, there's certain places we don't want our switches. All this goes into the scope and it gets dispersed to the electrician. And uh, so it's, it, it is all there to protect us and protect the client. And we have a real detailed process too, if that scope changes at all. If there's a request from the client, if there is something that happens outside of either the client or the builder's control, there's a change from the scope, it gets documented and captured. I love that you do that. I've seen, you know, as a company, as we've worked to refine that scope of work, right? And really what it comes down to is whenever you're on a project, you're dealing with all these interpretations. So the client has their expectation of what it'll look like. Dan, you have yours as the builder. 
you know, designers involved has theirs, the architect has theirs. And so everyone has a view and something may be installed and they're like, hey, that's not correct. That's wrong. I didn't understand it to look like this. And uh, what, what we found is that through the scope of work that's detailed, right, that really does help, you know, any of that misunderstanding and confusion, especially with the traits. Because one thing I've seen, the, the GCs that actually spend time creating a scope of work before they send it out to bid, right? Or even after the bids are complete, before they go to contract, they go back to the sub and instead of just signing their proposal, they're actually sending a contract back and they're writing the scope down. The value there is that now that trade's going to go through and read the scope that you're dictating to them. And we may have picked up something that they missed, right? Or there may be some misunderstanding and say, well, I didn't have that in my bid. So at least you can get to common ground where you're not agreeing to a number that may be wrong because there's stuff missing or stuff added. Yep. And it goes, yeah, it it comes back the other way sometimes. Sometimes the trade comes back to us. It says, hey, listen, there's some things that I think we should probably add on this one and get this the way we need it to be. And uh, because most most of our trades, we don't like to deviate. Like, you know, it's, we, we have the same trades we use throughout. We use the same big electrical company, but we get the same electrician on all of our homes, but it's, it's not uncommon during the bid process to have the scope changed as a result of feedback from the trader or the vendor. Yeah. And it can change, but by having at least a base point, right? What, what you're mentioning, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it just clears that communication. What, so how are you organizing that scope of work doc? I mean, is this just a separate document you're sending out or using any software, you know, behind the scenes? Yeah, so we're pretty invested in co-construct. It's been a, we've been, we were one of the first builders to be on the, I think we were one of the first 100 builders to be on the system. And we've, we've used these type of systems uh, for, there was one prior to that, it, it predated Builder Trend and co-construct completely. It was called Build Links. You remember that? I don't, I actually don't. It's a, it was, it was a, in Builder Magazine, they had this ad. It was a full page ad and this guy, he had a shaved head and he had a 16 penny nail being driven through his skull. It was a horrific ad. It was disturbing <laughs> to look at. It was just like, this guy was like in agony with his selection, his communication. So anyways, I, I started out with that program. I bought it at the Builder Show. I don't remember the year, probably the mid 2000s. And um, this is back when you didn't really have Wi-Fi connectivity in the field. Very good. And it was just not, I flew to North Carolina and implemented on this thing. And it was just not very good. It's not, this company's not even around anymore. And then of course the builder trends of the world and the co-constructs came on and I ended up connecting with co-construct and, and we've been with them that whole time. So within co-construct, that's where we write our scope. It's all right there. Yeah. And so what are some of the features? I know early on you said you used Microsoft project as you're trying to figure out scheduling. I mean, did you end up evolving that and moving all into one central place with co-construct? Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we try to keep everything within the system. I mean, it's um, perhaps it doesn't do everything. Uh, there, there may be things more robust, right? But the value of keeping everything in one place is huge. And so for us, I mean, that entire system, we do our job scheduling, greater scope of work for the project, uh, do all of our bidding, do all of our estimating. I, I rarely open Excel anymore. Do all of our estimating. Uh, accept our bid, the client, the, the vendors get their bids accepted through it, uh, write all our purchase orders, uh, do our budgeting. Our, I would say the majority of our jobs are open book, so our clients see the budget through it. Um, it's, it's a robust tool and for us. And I would say that the biggest feature that we use and, uh, is we do all of our communication through it with the clients. Once the 
once the job starts, we, uh, we bring them in. There's a way to bring them in the system during pre-construction without showing them the system. And because I don't, we won't show them the entire system until they are under contract and ready to go. Once they're under contract, we bring them in the system. And that, from that point forward, that's when we do onboarding. And that's the key thing with any of these systems. If you're a builder trend, if you're a co-construct, it is important to have that thing, have a system that works for you, but also have a good system, a way to onboard the client. Is there, there, it, there's some learning curve to it. It's important to be there to onboard them, but we do all of our communication through it. And, and I think one big thing we won't, we, we stop is text messaging with our clients. We don't text message anymore. And in um, that way, when a message is through the system, which could be as simple as responding to an email that's generated through GoConstruct, it hits myself, our staff accountant, our designer, project manager, my wife, and both spouses. That's the most important thing, both spouses. <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah. keep everyone on the same page. So that's interesting. So are you using, uh, I understand the text messaging because text messages, you know, it's really hard. You know, even if the client may reach out and say, hey, Dan, we want to make this change. That's fine. But we could take them over to, you know, build a trend or co-construct and, you know, take that message there so it can be tracked. I mean, are you doing any of this communication via email or are you trying to keep everything through the platform? Oh, it's through the platform. Yeah, absolutely. So there's an app which, you know, you can communicate through. Uh, you can log into the computer and communicate through it. But obviously when you send an email out of the system, it, I'm sorry, when you send a message through Co-Construct, it, everybody gets an email as well. So you can just reply to the emails. But the key thing is it's, you, you write your scope in, in the system. Okay. Permits, foundation, framing, frame materials, exterior trim materials, cabinetry, countertops. So the key thing is if the client has a question about cabinetry, they go to the, to the cabinetry scope. They have a question about the cabinets or the countertops, they go to the countertop scope. And that way the, the, the threads of communication are right where they need to be. So you don't want to go to the windows and talk about their cabinets. Believe it or not, it's, it's not a difficult thing to pull off with the clients. And it really, um, I mean, the one thing that keeps me sane, at the end of the day, every single day, my email is down to zero. My, my inbox. I, I don't want any em emails in my inbox. And because the nice thing about using a system and like this, whether you use Builder Trend or Co-Construct, if, if you commit to doing all your communication through it, you really can delete all your emails because it's kept within the system. I love that. And, and the thing is, it's such a resource because if you have to go back or it's, you know, it's easy to fall, as you mentioned, you can keep it where it needs to be in that, in that program. And it, additionally, you can even upload you know, spec sheets, cut sheets for appliances, for, as you mentioned, cabinet drawings. I mean, all that could be up there for, for anyone at any time to view or look at. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. 
And Build a Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Builder Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows, and they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And so you mentioned, it's funny because you and I met in Vegas, actually, you know, at the Build Show in person, I think the first time. And um, and, and you mentioned this comment that you signed up early on at the Build Show. So, I mean, has this been something that's been common ground for you to attend? The Build Show? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first year I went was 2000 and I've missed one since when one of my sons was born and, um, you know, it's, it's a way for me to, uh, get away, kind of recharge my batteries. One, one builder described it. He says, it's like summer camp for builders, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's, it's, uh, there's so much good there. You've got the floor, which is all the vendors and, and, and working your way through that and selling all the other products you've got all the seminars, you know, and, and again, and then the other thing, it's, it's all the networking with the other builders that is just fantastic. And we've gotten a lot out of that show over the years. So we, we make it a, we'll be there. We'll bring our whole team this year. So. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and so what are, do you find benefit, uh, meeting with vendors? I mean, what is the best benefit? The classes, you know, for, for anyone that's maybe thought about, should I attend the build show? I mean, how's that benefited your business? That's a great question. So I, you know, I think the best benefits the networking. I think as builders, we uh, are going to get some of our best education by talking to other builders. You know, and that's that's why I love uh, become such a fan of podcasts and your podcast, and and it is you're you're hearing other builders talk about their experience, and you might you might get a nugget of information that may change a piece of your business. So really getting there and networking with the other builders is huge for us. Uh, I do like the seminars. I think, um, a lot of the builders are, I'm sorry, a lot of the seminars are builder led and that is good. We've spoke at seminars over the year. One year, I think I spoke at three seminars and I was oh, busy wow. Man, you're, you really don't get much builder show time when you do that. It's a commitment to do that stuff. But, but, uh, anyways, that, that is good. And then the vendors, when you go, I, uh, when you walk the show floor, it's, you've got 
they've got it broke down into the technology section, you know, the tools section, the kind of the kitchen and bath or whatever. Section. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you can blow through that stuff, you know, the, you know, it's in Florida this year. So I would say if you haven't been to the show, walk the show floor quickly and then try to, you know, make notes and fall back to the vendors you maybe want to spend some time with. And then, uh, there's South hall, there's the central and North halls, but South hall is where all the new vendors go. And it's actually kind of, that's a fun one to hit. And I usually save that for my last day because you might find some really unique stuff there. Yeah. I love that. That's interesting. And so, so let me ask you this because I found value in the networking and probably something that you know, by attending the event, I didn't realize how valuable it would be. You know, you go out to dinner, you're meeting with other builders and understand the process. And it was actually at the builder show in Orlando before you and I met in Vegas, before I went to Vegas. And there was a, a builder I really respect here. And he had talked to me about the Builder 20 program. And he pulled me aside and at the show and he said, hey, Brad, you need to go talk to NHB. You know, and you need to look at being part of this Builder 20. How did, I, I know you're very active with your Builder 20. I mean, did, did that opportunity present itself at the build show or was this something you found out about you know, off air, if you will. You know, I, I did. That's where I found out about it at the Builder Show. And, you know, there's the Builder 20 room and I had stopped in and they kind of explained to me what it was. And, um, you know, at the time I did not put application in. My kids were a little younger and I thought, you know, I knew there was travel. There's two weeks or a week, roughly a few days a week, twice a year. Twice a year. And I thought, I just want to get my kids a little bit older in the event that I took my wife to the to the meeting. So I put application in and, you know, basically a, through the NHB, if you put the, you put your application in and other groups will evaluate you, uh, based on, you know, what types of homes you build, where your location is, because everybody's from a non-competing market. And then that group will invite you to a meeting. And, uh, from there they'll choose you or not, I guess, but, but, uh, most likely choose you obviously. Um, you know, I think what the build, what a builder 20 is, it's really, we, we have to look at it as our board of directors. We've got 15 to 20 builders that are from all over the country that typically are, most, they're all custom builders, but rather, but we may do things different. Builders in our group have their own architectural services on staff. There's guys like me that are kind of smaller custom builders, several, you know, some of them employ carpenters, everybody is different. And, um, but there's an exchange of ideas that's just invaluable. And the big thing, my goal with joining the 20 club was the financials. I came in as a, I came into this business as a finished carpenter and, uh, you know, and I transitioned to builder and I, I mean, I have stumbled and fumbled, you know, my first few years trying to figure out what's the right markup. How do I charge, you know, do you charge for change orders? What do you charge? You know, it's just all this stuff. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I mean, I've, I've left a lot of money on the table. Of course, <laughs> I think we all have. Right, right. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it is definitely our, my board of directors and uh, it's a great group of people. And we, we have a message board that we communicate with, you know, at all times and exchange of ideas and so forth. So it's something I would definitely look at if I was a, uh, a, a builder looking to, to grow. So do you feel that, you know, from the financial side, for anyone that's looking at addressing that aspect of their business, which is really our lifeline, right? That's our bloodline. You yeah. know, do you feel that you could have got that same education outside of being in a Builder 20? Uh, not me, personally. I, it's not the way I learn. I mean, I guess there are probably uh, 
there are books and HB has standard stuff or markups and that, but it, it really comes down to, uh, honestly, I think it's regional. I find it very interesting talking to other builders from different parts of the country that um, their markups are way different, right? And, you know, I have friends in some of the Western states that their markups are substantial, plus they charge project management and it's a pretty hefty fee for the, to the projects where there are other parts of the country that could never get project management. Right. And it, so it's really all comes down to techniques and tricks and, and how do we, and by the way, uh, talk about things that change just the, in construction in general, uh, site superintendents and project management is becoming more and more needed with the trade uh, skill trade gap that, you know, that we have. So that is come becoming, so it's, it's going to be, if it's not a line item, it needs to be a line item in your, in your estimate. So. I love that you shared that because this is a really important topic and this has to do with a lot of challenges we're dealing with as builders is that um, I'll have clients, you know, that will ask that like in the line item, you know, well, what's the superintendent? What's the purpose, right? Can't you just hire a framer and they're going to come out and perform their scope and move on. And then you schedule the next one. And it's pretty light lifting, but you and I know, Dan, from building a house, like to, to build a custom house, you have to have someone there every day and they have to have their sites and you have to, I, I don't want to use the term babysit, but there has to be some proactivity from the superintendent. And this is where, where we've been, you know, I feel like in our production meetings that we have regularly with our team, we use the term being proactive, right? You have to be proactive, not reactive. And yeah. there's so much to be said for, and this goes back to you, how you're organizing your systems. Uh, each superintendent has to understand if the design book is five inches thick and it's that big binder or the plan set, you have to know every detail, every spec that's going in that house. And there's so much coordination. There's so much back and forth. There's so much that has to be diagnosed by that superintendent. You know, that person, they have to be on site. I mean, this is, and, and with the skills gap that's happening, like, you know, the, the subcontractors and trade partners, they're dealing with this challenge. You know, they don't have people as skilled right now. So they actually need someone such as yourself, Dan, that could be out there and really help guide them through. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, it's, you know, it's the two things, the skills gap and the complexity of the homes, both those two things require some, you know, the site supervision, but also the project management from inside the, the office. Somebody's got to convey all that and, and that, and I'll tell you one thing we have, uh, implemented and it really came from my inside staff was uh, site meetings weekly on the site and with the client and and those have been huge for us i mean we are we're dialed in with the clients through co-construct a lot of the communication is clear all the specs are written everybody knows what's going on but nothing will nothing uh is like actually being on the job site and reviewing those details with the client and the site superintendent yeah, and going back to the builder twenty, it's interesting as you're talking about pricing. I think you know the reason I asked that question is I, for my side too, I, you know, social media gave an avenue right where I could connect with builders that I didn't compete with that are willing to share. Hey, you know, how do you deal with this challenge? How are you doing with this price um, or or product or whatever it may be? And but what I found with the builder twenty is you know having joined with myself is that it, it's unique as you mentioned board of directors where you're actually accountable. I know for us, you know, we sit in our meetings and we're going through financials and I'm on the hot seat. Okay. So all 19 builders are looking at me. Well, Brad, why are you doing it this way? Why did you lose money here? Right? Why, 
you know, why are you paying this? Why are you doing this? And so you really get right. scrutinized. Right. Why is your social media budget so high? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like you're under the microscope from all these people that are your peers, but it's in a, it's in a way to better your business, right? It's not something yeah. where, Hey, just being open. This is how I understood this as how I was trained, how I learned it. And I remember, you know, some builders and, you know, who do cost plus in other markets are like, no, this is how you address this. This is how you cover your costs. Because at the end of the day, we have to be in a position where it could be profitable so that we're, we're here to perform for our client, right? They want to hire someone that's not going to go under at the next recession. You need to be in a position where you can warranty your product. And, you know, sure. that brings some uh, value to the clients as well that are, you know, when they're putting a big investment in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you 100%. The, the financial, the, we do our financials in the spring. Fall yeah. is typically something a little bit fun or maybe we bring in a speaker. But the financials, uh, it, it can get rough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it can get rough. And the nice thing about being in the group, we've been in our group, I think, seven years. And you, uh, we track our financials and you can see graphs. And it's just nice to see each builder tick their way up and growth. And uh, that's that's the benefit of it. And the, the NHB does a nice job. There's while we all our financials may all look different, our balance sheets all look different. There's a form, and we input our financials into this form, and it puts us all on the same page, which is which is nice. So, how do you go about vetting uh, new people in the group? Now that you've been in the group for seven years, Dan, is does the NHB reach out to you and say, "Hey, here's some applicants," or are you finding them on your own? So, a great question. I, I cheered the group. Uh, last, I think for two years and, uh, we have a membership chair and NHB does share with you the list of applicants and it's, it's, you know, every year at the builder show, you're going to get a bunch of people that go in and fill an application out for the builder 20 and they're shared with you and you can make contact with those folks and, and just do kind of a, a dry run interview over the phone and, they, and then the group will, you know, invite. So. This year, um, the list was just, it, 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 we had our eyes on a few people and they got invited to other groups. And I went back to my group and said, hey, I knew two guys on Instagram I really like and uh, I'd like to invite them. And I, so I, the group was good with it. So we, we, that's the first one we've ever done that. And it's, it's, it's going to be a huge success for us. So they're both in the group. We're excited about that. Hey, there you go. Cheers to Instagram, right? So you found them through right. the, the recruitment of social media. Now, sure. were they already NHB members or did they have to join and go kind of through that paperwork side? Yeah. So I think one was an NHB member and I think one was not. Yeah. So they, uh, one had to join, I believe. I can't recall which one. So how quickly did your pricing format or process change, you know, being in the build of 20? Oof. So, uh, not super quick. Okay. It was, it was not easy. And, uh, and honestly, I went to set dinner with one of the builders and he just let me have it. And he said, Hey, you know what? You're an organized builder. You build a nice home. You, you just raise your prices right now. And you tell them this is what you charge. And I mean, it was a he kind of smacked me in the side of the head and I did it right then and there. And, you know, I just, I said, this is it. I'm, I, and I raised my price a few points and, and didn't get any pushback and, and, uh, it would, but it, it probably could have happened a little quicker. It just did. So, <laughs> so do you ever have yeah. clients push back saying, okay, now that you're educated, Dan, you understand your process. I mean, you have a great reputation. You've done a great job. 
Do you have clients push back just as, and this goes back to the square foot question earlier, you know, on your percentage or costs and, and how do you handle that conversation with the client? You know, I, I show them a budget in real time. This is how, here, I'm going to show you a house. Here's the house I have under construction. I'll show them the entire budget for it. Show them what we make. I show them how we charge. I don't want, even if they don't build with us, at least they'll walk away informed. Okay. And it, it, uh, we don't really ask people, people don't really ask us to lower fee, um, or, or anything like that. I, I think people are shocked what stuff costs today. It, I'm shocked what stuff costs, right. And, uh, how much has gone up. So, so in such a short period of time, but, but, um, I think just being transparent with, with them is, is the big, one of the things that has really helped me. And, um, and I, so over the years to change subjects a little bit here, I've, I've hired um, consultants, coaches, business coaches at various times. And for a guy that really didn't like school. Okay. I, I did go to college and, and I was working as a finished carpenter and I dropped out of, I was in a biology class and I closed my book and I said, I'm, I'm, I, my life is passing, my life is passing me by. And I went full-time as a finished carpenter. I, I did not, I liked school. I just didn't love it. I love being educated as a builder. I love being, uh, on both sides on the building side and the technical side of building, but just as much, I love being educated on the business side of things. And one of the more complicated things I ever went through was I hired a business coach that was a sales coach. And I, I, I was just curious about it. And I remember I, I do better over the phone than through email. So I called this gentleman and I said, Hey, I'm kind of curious here about your process. Well, let me just tell you, he's got such a good process. I had his credit, my credit card number before I got off the phone. He was a good <laughs> sales guy. How's that? But anyways, that one was probably the most complicated, uh, coaching process I'd ever been through. Cause it made me think about, uh, how we present ourselves to our client. And within the first 15 minutes of our first coaching session, he fixed some of my biggest issues. And it was, if you don't mind me asking, what were those, what, what are some things he yeah. pointed out that said, Hey Dan, this is something we need to address. So we you know, for our area, we built a nice home. I mean, our finishes are outstanding. Our masonry is outstanding. Our, our millwork on the interior of our homes is pristine. I mean, it, it is, they are nice custom homes. And here I am telling like you, here's what we do. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And, and he basically said, stop people, people know you're a good builder. They don't need to know anymore. They're afraid they can't afford you. That's the problem. And that was it. He said, you have to, you have to assure them that, you know, that and we do that through a series of, of, uh, tasks that we walk the client through, but some of that is showing them an actual house. This is what it costs. And this is the reality of it. And also, um, there's some, uh, how do I say this? There should be some fear with building, not building with us. How's that? But you know, there's by building with another builder, you, you know, they're, they're losing out. That's correct. Yeah. So yeah, that, that the first 15 minutes of that first sales call, I could have hung up there and I had my money's worth, right? <laughs> He fixed me right then and there. And, and, uh, so that was very helpful. So it's interesting. I mean, this is an interesting process as you try to understand, okay, where are my strengths and weaknesses as a salesperson, especially in your case, Dan, where you're running the business development, right? 
And so you need to have that that critical feedback. And and really to be successful as a salesperson is setting realistic expectations, right? Like you want to be able a good salesman and you don't want to give them the pie in the sky and overpromise, you know, underdeliver. I mean, that's what we're trying to avoid here. And so getting back to the pricing, how do you set the expectation? Because we're both doing this, like prices now are unlike anything I've ever seen. You know, how do you how do you set a budget for based on something you built a year ago or six months ago and then forecast it? And the the only example I can give is uh so so my older daughter, she had so so I have two kids driving now, right? I have mm-hmm. my daughter's almost eighteen one sixteen. So we, we bought a used car and it's fairly inexpensive at the time. I mean, it was like ten thousand dollars a buddy of mine worked at enterprise. So you know, not too bad, you know, as you work through mm-hmm. that and and she had a job and we're working through that. Well, now we're looking for, you know, daughter two has a car and do they share cars, which we're hoping that they do, but they're kind of different parts of town for school and everything else. And um, it's funny because you look at used cars and now it's like 25 grand for a used car. But the same one, I'm like, what happened? Like, and this is what my clients are doing with, you know, house is twice as expensive. And so for fun, you know, I was like, well, used cars are like through the roof. What's a new car? So I, we went looking with my daughters, you know, at, at a couple dealerships. And all of us know the game of, you know, working with the car sales and those jokes, right? Like, okay, well, MSRP is this, but what's it really going to cost? And so we went to five dealerships. Inventory is horrible. They don't have any cars, right? Because that's what we're dealing with, you know, no product. And every single one of them said, well, there's markup. And I'm like, what do you mean markup? I've never heard that with a car. And they said, well, yeah, you have your MSRP, but depending on the vehicle and the scarcity, markup may be 2,000, 4,000, 7,000. I'm like, wait, what does that mean? And they're saying, yeah, there's no negotiation. Like you're not getting this even at MSRP. There's going to be a markup. It's just be between one and seven grand on top of the price of the car. I was like, no way. And so I went to like five dealerships, five different brands, and they all had it. And it's just, it's interesting to think how that market's changed. And so they they did set clear expectations. So now I know what I'm up against if, you know, depending on what you got to figure out, which is, is a long ways away. But how are you dealing with your clients, you know, knowing that this, this pendulum is moving so quickly? Well, you know, uh, the ones that we currently have in design and developing their, their budgets for their homes, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can with the, we get solid quotes on everything. We obviously, as soon as we can, we get a purchase order out on the mock that price in. So there are some things, obviously lumber starting to tick back up yep. and there's anticipation that lumber may be back to summertime prices by the spring. And so we're you know, just building in some contingencies at each line item to hopefully counteract that, you know, and some of our clients, you know, some of them have bank loans and this is, you know, they've got what's in that bank loan. Some are not, some have access to more funds, but it's not, neither one's going to like paying more for our lumber package. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but we try to, uh, build contingencies in where we anticipate the, the, I mean, electrical wire this year. Electricians, the first time ever I've had the trades come back to me and say, Heck, I can't, I got to charge more. And how do you, and it's, it's kind of this honor system, right? I mean, that they say, Hey, it's going to be $3,500 additional for electrical wire for this house. And we got to go back to the client. It's like, Hey, when we bid the house, the electrical wire was $31 a roll. And now it's $120 a roll. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the, the good news is the clients, they, they understand, they, it's the media is picking up on it. They understand stuff is, is costing more. Just, it never tastes good. Yeah, it does. And it's always a tough conversation, at least now, as you mentioned, and we, it's very similar. And you know, the best advice I could give is when we sit down with our customers, it's very similar that maybe the lumber line we can 
we can break it apart and say, okay, trusses is this, hardware is this, labor is this, you know, lumber is this, and separate as best as we can, you know, for for the most part, this labor number is going to be adequate, right? But there's going to be some movement in these highlighted. Here's what it's at today. We can only buy sorely. You know, it's not like I can buy concrete and store it in my backyard. You know, I can buy I can buy your appliances. You know, I can buy some of your tile and plumbing fixtures. And there's things we can do to avoid that or countertops possibly. But, you know, and so it's really that there, there's more time involved from our side to over communicate that. But at least by doing so, the client does have a, a, a good picture. And because there's only so much pricing we can do and, and that we can hold. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, even, uh, some of them, even if the purchase order, they've come back, they've accepted the purchase order and, you know, and so there's been a small increase. So it's, it's not even a guarantee there anymore. It's yeah. Amazing. It's, it's amazing. So what do you, what do you enjoy most about being a builder, Dan? Cause you mentioned <laughs> that your dad was an engineer and he's like, okay, well, if you're going to go down this building side, it's not easy. You better remember your four points, right? That you said the organized, manage, lead, and control. So, I love getting up every day and knowing what I got ahead of me as a builder. I do like being in the field. One of my favorite phases of construction is the foundation. I'm there it, when we excavate day one and set grade on the house. I'm there for every single time. It's one of the more critical pieces of set grade on the home. It's one of the critical pieces of, of the construction. And it is challenging at times. It can be stressful at times, but it's incredibly rewarding and, and uh and at the end of the day, it's, it's about relationships. It's about relationships with our team members that work for us. It's about relationships with our trades and suppliers. It's about relationships with our clients. So, so do you feel that you, cause I know you mentioned you were from the trades and so how much of a role did that play in your skill set as a general contractor? And what made you make that transition from trim carpentry to say, I'm going to take the leap and be a general? Yeah. So, you know, looking back, now is is i was a finished carpenter and i worked for other builders in our area i uh i would do all their trim i had at one point i had a cabinet shop and we built their built-ins and so forth the experience that that gave me well number one it, it exposed me to good finished carpentry at that time this is the early 90s there were tons of really good craftsmen in our area and a lot of them have aged out and retired and, and so i was exposed to a lot of these guys but the biggest thing it gave me was an exposure to the job site culture and how each trade can affect the other. And, and one guy's uh, not getting his job done may affect the, the profitability of another guy. And I knew as a builder, even when I didn't even understand every phase of construction, I knew as long as I could keep things organized so that particular trader supplier could show up and be profitable and get in and get their job done well, I would do well. I would succeed. And I still do that today. How can I, how can I help these small companies be profitable? And it's through being organized and keeping the job site clean and of course, paying them uh, in a timely manner. So that, that was a big help in, in terms of building. I, I never really wanted to be a builder. I, uh, I, when I was 21, I bought my own first home. I, like any guy in construction, I gutted that thing to the studs and and put it all back together and I sold it for 65,000. This is 1992. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back then you can't I mean, even buy your lumber for that now. Right. And, um, and I went and bought a lot and I, I didn't know anything about building a home. I didn't, uh, I didn't, but now I had the cash to buy the lot and the bank would talk to me because back then banks did not loan money for, to, for new homes, especially to 
trip partners. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, so anyways, but I had the cash a lot. They gave me the loan and I built my first house in 90 days and, and, uh, I was excited and I had my own home and, and somebody pulled up and said, Hey, would you like to sell that? And I was like, well, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but okay. And, and, uh, ended up selling it. And, uh, and my girlfriend, who's my wife at the time, we moved into an apartment and I did it again, built a house and it sold right away. Did it again, I built a house and it sold right away. And from there I had a, uh, cause I couldn't afford to do two homes at once. So I was, we just lived in an apartment and, um, I ended up having a guy come in and he didn't exactly want the home we had. It was our fourth spec, I think. And he said, would you build me? my wife and I home. And I said, you know what, I'll do it. And I ended up doing my first custom build with him. And to the, I have this contract framed in my office. And back then my building contract was only one page. That's <laughs> amazing. It, it fit on one page. Now it's 20 or whatever my attorney tells me it needs to be. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, uh, so yeah, that's, so for, for the first few years I did do, I mean, when I, first start building, I, I poured my own footers, I framed wow. it, I did all the extra trim, I built my cabinetry, all kitchens and everything, vanities, I did all the tile, laid the hardwood, I just did it all, right? And uh, as much as I could. And, uh, but I slowly, as I started uh, doing pre-salts, I, uh, homes, I uh, quit doing the work. So incidentally, I, I will say, I, I used to build specs. I, the last spec I built was 2006. And right before uh, the crash. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, and I, I have friends that that's their, uh, business model. They keep specs and customs going at all times. And, uh, for me, I just never slept well at night Yeah, and I sleep better at night when I don't have spec homes. <laughs> yeah. So. There's some good advice there. I mean, there is a lot of risk involved and, um, when times are good, it's a, it's a great, you know, strategy. And when times are down, it's, uh, like you said, there's a lot of sleepless nights out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been amazing, Dad. I mean, you've had just a wealth of knowledge and I love your passion for the industry. I mean, I've been a big fan for a long time and, you know, even though we've met briefly a few times, but, you know, having an hour conversation definitely, you know, changes that admiration of what you're doing in the industry. And, and for anyone listening, you know, what do you have upcoming and exciting and where can our listeners find you? Sure. So, man, I, I we're blessed. I mean, right now we have some really good projects coming and uh, we're excited about it and several under construction, several in design, which are going to keep us busy for a while. And so the work is there. We're super grateful for that. We're, we're going to work hard through that. Um, you know, as far as where they can find us, we are on social media. I, I hang out mostly on Instagram, even though I've been a little quiet this, uh, these last few months, it's because we've been so busy. Uh, but most of our handles are default builders at default builders. And, uh, we have Facebook too. We're real quiet over there, but, uh, yeah. So in, incidentally, Instagram, it, it was a tool that it's when I got first got on it, I didn't really understand it. I didn't know, Hey, like, what is this going to be? And, um, and then I kind of committed to like just engaging more and posting more and engaging with other people. And I did it for about a year straight. And I was just amazed at how it affected our, uh, presence locally and that with, uh, prospects, but the, the, the piece that I was very unexpected was the relationships I made on Instagram. You, 
Mike Breedside out of Chicago. I mean, several people that I've met through this through this platform, which has just been a huge impact on our business. So, so thanks for that. Yeah. Well, likewise, the feelings mutual, and I'm grateful for you and you know Mike and everybody else. I mean, it's it's a great community, and what I do love, I I feel like the construction industry. Um, there's like a unity behind it, right? Through the design, construction, architecture, you know, we're all on the same team. And the reality is it's a really hard business and it doesn't matter what part of the country you're building in. It's really hard. It's really stressful. And uh, sometimes we need each other to uh, share all those war stories with because it, it, it can be exhausting at times. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome, Dan. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your passion, especially, you know, speaking about the Builder Show and, you know, Builder 20 and all these great things and processes and Builder Trend co-construct you're using. And uh, uh, again, thank you for making time for us today. Well, Brad, thanks for having me on. It's a, uh, I really appreciate that you do this podcast. It's a huge, it's a learning tool for many, many people. And, and I appreciate having me on. It's an honor. Well, thank you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.